Let's uh, dive into this morning's uh, text. Uh, working through the book of Ephesians uh, for this last run, and hopefully you've been blessed and encouraged by it as much as I have. I uh, just wanted to give a little bit of an overview of where we've been. This morning we're in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, but really the, the letter is broken into two parts. The first half of it uh, that we looked at is really making sure that his audience, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, making sure his audience is crystal clear on their identity in Jesus Christ, who they are after embracing Christ, making sure they understand all the benefits of being children of God. And then the second half of the book in which we're in now, it moves more towards discussing how this new identity shapes the way we live. How we respond to the truths about our identity should ripple into the way we interact with people, how we, uh, how we speak, how we talk, how we respond to things. The biggest change in that new identity, I would suggest, as it points to in the book of Ephesians, the biggest change is who is in charge. The biggest change, who's in charge, no longer led by the flesh, now being led by the Spirit of God living within us, that changes the, really everything. One of the things that points to one of the clues that you're being led by the Spirit and no longer the flesh is the fact that there's this mutual submission, Paul points to. The idea of, of putting other people's needs above your own. If you're looking for a clue that God's at work in your life, it would say that would be a major clue that you're putting other people's needs above your own. And he's talking about how that ripples into all of our major relationships. First, he starts talking about marriage, how it should influence that. That was two weeks ago. Last week, how it ripples into how we raise our children. And then this week, the third of the different relationships that it ripples into is how it ripples into our work relationships, how it transfers, how, how, how when he's the one driving the ship, things look different. There's, this is, uh, to a degree, a manual or policy manual for what Christian relationships should look like in the workplace. I wanted to give, though, a little bit of backdrop, though, on our text, because you're going to start reading it in a moment, and you're going to be like, what in the world is it talking about? All this slaves and masters and, and wait a second, what are, we, what are we getting ourselves into? A little, little backdrop on this whole slave and master thing is, is written during an era under Roman rule and slavery was a part of the culture of that time. When Rome would take over a new uh, area or region or city or whatever, they would actually take the people of that area under slavery. So any able-bodied man, woman, and even what we describe as children or young adults would then be uh, taken under slavery, which is pretty uh, crazy, especially with all of the things that we associate to slavery from our own American history. But in that empire, the Roman Empire, 30 to 40 percent of people were considered slaves. Not crazy to think of. There's about six million people in the Roman Empire, and about over two million of those people were enslaved. So he's writing to a culture that had embraced this whole thing. Not, not. And here's what I want to make sure we understand: he's not endorsing slavery. He's not endorsing slavery. He's pointing to the the fact that this was an accepted institution in the Roman world. And what's interesting is he's not he's not endorsing it. In fact. When he talks to the younger pastor Timothy in the letter written to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 8 and 10, he tells exactly how he feels about slavery. In 1 Timothy 1, he describes uh, those who are involved in slavery and slave trade as the ungodly and sinners. 
So you don't have to wonder if he endorses or not. He definitely does not. But what he points to is the institution that had taken over that culture and how believers were to navigate the world they're placed in. And isn't that the question we still face today? How to navigate a broken, fallen world system is what he's pointing to. And what's interesting is how often in the New Testament, the, uh, the, the attention that's given is dealing with a person's heart, not with the systems or structures that are in place. Because Jesus, and that was the thing that drove uh, the Israelites uh, crazy about Jesus. They're like, why isn't he fixing this? Why isn't he taking us out from Roman rule? Because he was more concerned about what was going on on the inside. Because our problems, I would suggest, and Scripture teaches, is not are not related to to uh, social or political or economic issues. It's always spiritual issues. Because when the heart is right. That ripples into the social structures. If, 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 if slaves and, and masters got the teaching right in this, all of a sudden slavery would become obsolete. So he's addressing the core issue, which is man's heart. So that's a little bit of a backdrop, and it's definitely relevant still today for us as you're thinking through this text, where do we fall in the category? Slave would be anyone that's under the authority of someone else. Anybody uh, feel like that at work? You might even describe yourself as a, a slave to your employer. The employer would be considered here the master. So if we, if we can make, if we can bridge that divide, I would suggest there's a ton for us to learn from the text this morning as it describes how we respond in that environment. I was thinking about it. I was like, man, what would that have been like in that day and age where you come to a church and 40% of the people in the church worshiping were slaves and a high percentage were masters. And, and how do they leave church and go back to being slaves and masters? This is where Paul's addressing how those work relationships would work. Let me pray as we try to navigate this and relate it to our own lives. God, we ask you now to speak to us through your word. I love how relevant your word is to us, even though there's different cultural changes and shifts and uh, some positive things that have come a, a different direction now, but still your word applies just the same. I ask that you'd speak to us directly, that this would be something that breaks down walls and even our understanding of what work relationships are to look like. Pray that this would not be my words, but your words to us directly. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So, does that make sense? Are we tracking so far? So this whole thing, slaves, he's not endorsing slaves. Don't, don't leave here thinking that. Here we're about to start in chapter 6, verse 5. says this, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Bond servants, we already discussed, would be the person that is underneath the leadership of someone else in the workplace. And I find it interesting, sometimes in our culture, you're both, right? If you, if you think of your work career, sometimes you're under some, someone and you're also over someone. So really, both sides of this lesson this morning are applicable. He tells the bond servant or the, or the employee, first, what does he say? Obey your earthly master. I find it interesting that there's no real disclaimer there that says, if you think they are right, or if you think they are fair, or if you think they're nice or noble or have the best intentions for you in mind. It gives none of those disclaimers that I would love to see inserted 
And in fact, throughout the New Testament, this whole idea is presented that we're, we're to be more concerned with obedience than whether or not it's meeting our rights or our uh, expectations. 1 Peter 2.18 says the same thing. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Pretty powerful words. Regardless of whether it's a good boss or a bad boss, we're told to what? Obey. Do what you're told, what's asked of you, and even doing it with the utmost respect when it says uh, with fear and trembling. That's not meaning like you're shaking as you're obeying. Like it's, it's, it's talking about a respect for the authority that's been placed above you. It's also not suggesting here that you do something that's contrary to Scripture. That's not what it's saying. If there's something we've discussed throughout with children as well as marriages, not doing something uh, outside of the uh, confines of Scripture, but to obey as unto the Lord. So countercultural. We're so obsessed with making sure we're, that, that we're getting our rights met, met that, we're, that we're receiving a proper pay, position, benefit packages. Here he's saying, you know what? I'm not concerned about those exteriors. I'm concerned about how good of an employee you are, how, how good you're doing at doing exactly what you're told with the right attitude. We'll see in a moment. That's a big deal. If you think about this, the potential for influence for us, how we respond to our bosses can be a testimony to unbelievers can be an encouragement to believers, and we'll see in a moment, it's also a service to God. There's a lot at stake here. What if in this region, in this area, it became known that hiring a Christ follower was the very best decision an employer could ever make? Getting, in fact, I was doing a reference this past week. I remember at the end of the reference for somebody in our church, as I was in the conversation with their potential employer, I was saying, listen, you got to trust me. This is going to be a really smart hire. You're not going to regret that decision. I thought I was a good sell. Uh, and, and, and here, but I was thinking about it later. I was like, that should be said of each one of us. If we're a legit Christ follower, if we're following his word and we're that, if we're that worker, man, that should be the best choice for an employer. So he starts with that, a, a real challenge for those of us that are underneath someone it says not just to do it with, a, with a, a, a biting our lip, but actually with a right attitude. It says, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So it's not just about doing it. It's about doing it with the right attitude. This is the hard part, right? Is that, is that true in the workplace? It's one thing to do it. It's a whole nother thing to do it with the right attitude. Because he, he warns us, because you can get sucked into just doing things for eye service, it describes, or, or the idea of uh, being people pleasers. Those are the two things that he's warned about. Eye service is service rendered only when supervised. Maybe you've noticed that in your own workplace, that there's a certain type of behavior when the boss is watching, and there's a certain type of behavior when the boss isn't watching, right? But that wouldn't be you. That would just be other people you've noticed. Uh, there, there's a, this TV show, I don't know if you've seen it before, Undercover Boss. 
You guys seen this where it's the, uh, the boss actually puts on a wig and some glasses and then goes and works with uh, his employees. And at some point, there's the big reveal that it's been the boss that they've been working with. And sometimes it's a positive and sometimes not so good. My personal favorite is when Kylo Ren uh, goes in as Matt, the radar technician. Uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, you would know what that is. Um, so anyway, but the idea is this. There's behavior. Does nobody watch Star Wars in this room? <laughs> Kylo Ren, you know the guy with the lightsaber? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, here's the, the idea. Here's the idea is this. What if our actions that we do when we're being watched actually matched what we do if you had your supervisor standing over your shoulder moment by moment. That's what he's calling us to. Not just being a people pleaser when it's convenient or being a, uh, just when you're being watched, being consistent throughout. That's what he calls us to. But unfortunately, America isn't doing the best at this whether they're taking possessions within the workplace. I was reading a statistic this week that kind of caught my attention. $16 million of merchandise a day is stolen from employees in America. $16 million. Like, so by the time we're done with this message, like a million bucks just got stolen in merchandise. But even worse than that, what's the other thing that's stolen in the workplace other than items? Time. That's right. Time is the other one. Guilty as charged, many of us, stealing things that literally might not be tangible, but it costs the company money. Taking when the boss isn't looking. I have a friend um, from college, and I'm going to throw him under the bus for a moment. Uh, his name is Mark, and, uh, and he, he was telling me the story. He got this out of college. He got this job at a, a pretty significant accounting firm. Had to wear a suit every day to work. He's like 6'3", like 240, big muscle guy. And, uh, and he, he was telling me that at, at the way that his desk was positioned at work, he said, he goes, right after lunch, it was perfect. I could crawl under my desk and take a nap. And because everybody was in transitions for lunch, I never got noticed. I'm like, and you feel good about this? I said, let me point you to the book of Ephesians. Uh, but, but, but here is just picturing uh, Big Mark under the desk napping is really the, the picture that we have of this idea that, listen, we're, we're supposed to be consistent, honoring as if our boss was there watching, not just people pleasing, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of the Lord. God's will, as we see here, his will is pretty clear-cut. Obey and do it with the right attitude because, he says, the audience makes all the difference in the world. Who we're working for. Look at verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Rendering a service, doing your work, in other words, as to the Lord, as if... Jesus was literally your supervisor. How would that drastically change everything if all of a sudden you started to see your work days? You know what? I'm doing this. My, my boss here that has the title that's wearing the badge, that's not my boss. I'm literally doing this as to the Lord. How would that change things? How would that change your perspective? How would that change your outlook? I would suggest it changes everything. That's why he's saying doing it with full or rendering service with a good will. Goodwill means like a positive attitude, enthusiastic. How would that change things if you were doing the work that you do 
as God was your supervisor. I would suggest our audience changes everything because it feels amazing to serve someone that's done so much for you. If you think about it, you're like, is that a drain? Is that a strain if you're trying to serve Christ? You're like, no, that's, that's no strain at all because of all the blessing that he's poured out in your life. Why, why would that be hard work to serve him in response? That's what he invites us to. I ask even in this room, what job have you had that, that this mentality would have helped with? What job have you had? What job have you, if you think back the landscape of the different jobs that you have, what would it have helped if you would have had Jesus as your boss rather than your boss? I would suggest a lot of people this would have helped in their different roles they've played over the year. My, my wife and I were talking about her first job or one of her first jobs in high school. I think I might have mentioned it here before. Her first job was working in a cemetery, and she was putting makeup on dead people. I'm like, uh, I was like, why did, you, why would you do that? And she's like, I kind of just wanted to see what it was like. And I was like, I don't know, that's a whole nother topic. But, um, <laughs> but here the 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 picture is what, regardless of what your job is, how miserable it is, how frustrating it is, how annoying. If you can bring the mentality into it, I'm doing this as unto the Lord. He's my supervisor. He's the one watching. He's the one that I give an account to. I guarantee that will drastically change your outlook throughout your day. Because we can can slip into some pretty stinking thinking as this goes. Verse 8 says this, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. See, we can slip into the thinking that, you know what, what I do doesn't matter, nobody sees, nobody cares, it doesn't, this, this is so pointless. Anybody guilty of slipping into that thinking sometimes of your own work? Maybe uh, this is just a room full of perfect employees, but, uh, but some people I've heard of uh, slip into that thinking uh, of just wonder, asking some of those questions, why do I do what I do? But here's he saying, because there's someone that's observing and watching, and here's the good part, and rewarding based on our performance. If you're wondering, why do I do this? You're like, the reason why you do this is because Christ is watching and he's also promising that he's going to reward those who are faithful, that actually get this right, that get the o- obedience thing right, that get the right attitude thing right, that get the even when no one's watching thing right saying that it'll be rewarded, knowing that whatever, you, whatever good anyone does, this you will receive back from the Lord. This, this, this whole payback thing is, well, wasn't just a karma that Buddha came up with. This is a principle in Scripture that literally good things will come if you follow God's plan in this. Some of you are like, oh man, but I haven't seen the benefits at all of this. And some of them, it's fair to say, some of them might be eternal. We don't know. He doesn't define that. But I'd suggest maybe our eyes be expanded to see what benefits might even look like. Sometimes we just attach, well, the benefits to just the financial benefits. That's usually when we hear benefits or reward. You're like, yeah, but I haven't seen myself get paid out for my faithfulness. But what if, I was listening to a pastor talking about this some months back. He was saying, you know what, if you could choose the benefits or rewards that you're getting for faithfulness, would finances always be at the top of the list? I don't know. 
Wouldn't you, rather than an extra couple thousand bucks, don't you think you'd rather have good health? Don't you think you'd rather have kids that are growing up to serve and follow the Lord? Don't you think you'd rather have a, a strong marriage? Don't you think you'd rather have deep, intimate relationships that are God-honoring? When we associate benefits, we need to expand our horizons to be like, oh, maybe, maybe God is blessing me in response to my faithfulness at work. Maybe he is noticing and rewarding in response to that. He promises it. I got to believe he's going to respond to it. He changes and turns a corner here and talks, goes from talking about the employees to the employers, if you will, the bosses. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So again, just to refresh, masters is defining anyone that's in authority over someone. I don't know if that qualifies for someone in this room. I assume so. Some of you, as I mentioned, have a little bit of both. What does he call them to do? It's interesting because what he calls them to do really falls in those exact same three categories, actions, attitude, and audience. Actions, he says, do the same to them. Do the same to them. What's the same thing? Rendering service as to the Lord. Work, in other words, work as unto the Lord. Our authority always is given to serve and bless others, not to serve and bless ourselves. This isn't shooting down the whole idea of authority. God, God is fine with us having authority structures in place, but what we do with our authority matters. How do you steward your authority? How do, how do you respond to the, 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 the authority that's been given to you? How do you use it? Do you use it to benefit yourselves or do you use it to benefit others? There's so many crossroads in that to get this right or to do it poorly. I, uh, I hesitated in sharing this story because it's, it's really not intended to brag because I can point to other stories where I didn't get this right. But this is, here's, a, here's an example of this. So my, my wife and I, when we first got out of, well, not out of college, but when we first got married, bought a townhome in Chicago and became a landlord because as a landlord, you make lots of money, I was told. Uh, not really. Uh, but here's the, the thing. God seems to test me in areas where I have to choose where I'm going to elevate things, either the person or the finances. Anybody else feel like you get those tests as well in your life? And so this was the test. So we had a, a renter, and uh, we had in our contract or lease that the person wasn't allowed to paint the townhome, because that's a huge hassle when they move out. We just wanted our boring neutral colors to stay the same. Any other renters done, done this before? So the, the renter was moving out. I did a walkthrough. She had, had cathedral ceilings. She had painted the entire place. I don't know why. Dark chocolate brown, including the ceilings, including the ceilings. So I'm there. I'm doing the math, and I'm looking at my security deposit, and I'm just like, you know what? There is, there is no way the security deposit is even going to cover getting that painted, and I'm thinking through all the work. But then I have this crisis of, but yeah, I've also had opportunities to share the gospel with this lady. She knows I'm a pastor. She knows where, what I stand for, and so I'm at this crossroads. What do you do? Do you cash in and take her for everything she's worth? Who wants to vote for that? Uh, no, so yeah, that's right. You, there's confession time after church. Um, and so, so here, here's the, the, the letter that I wrote to her. And uh, this, is, this is what I said to Natalia. I said, hello, Natalia. I wanted to thank you for being a 
Great tenant. Uh, I debated on what to do about your security deposit. She knew she had blown it. Uh, and decided to give the entire amount back so that we would part ways with you having a positive view of me and my family. The reason this is important to me is because you associate me with Christ and I don't want his name tainted. I know you have heard what I have to say about God and the Bible, but I felt I needed to recap what we have talked about one last time because I care about you and your son. I believe these truths can impact your eternity. Then I went on and shared the gospel message with her in entirety. Is one of those crossroads with authority that we all come to. What are we going to do? Is it going to be used for building me up or is it going to be used for building them up? He calls us to live differently. I'm confident that marked her memory. I'm confident that stuck in her head that, whoa, what's, what's going on? Is, so, is somebody actually elevating something above the almighty dollar? What a concept that is. So here, how we use our authority matters. Use it as unto the Lord, even with the right attitude. Look, look at what he says. Stop your threatening. Stop your threatening, which suggests what? That they've been threatening, right? It's, it's suggesting that you've not been doing very good with this. We need to change things, and you need to stop your threatening. How does that apply to us today? You're like, well, I'm not... I'm not whipping somebody or whatever, but look at present day, what it looks like. What if we eliminated statements that ever included, if you don't, then, if you don't, then. What if we took those out of our vocabulary, the the threats that are included in conversations as bosses on a regular basis? I would suggest that bad managers use threats to produce results. Bad managers use threats to, re- to produce results. Here he's calling us to something different. There, there's got to be a different path, a different way to accomplish something. It looks different. It's ironic that these things that are suggested in Scripture actually prove to work better. They actually prove to work Studies show that there's more product- productivity when what? Employees are treated well with respect, when there's grace, when, there, when, there, when there's opportunity for growth, not under a heavy-handed threat environment. It changes everything. Here's what he suggests. Stop threatening. Knowing that, and look, look what he, that he suggests after that, that, that allows that to happen. Stop threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. That then gets to the audience idea, knowing that you're not the big fish in the sea. Some of us need to hear this and be reminded of this. You're, you're not the top dog. You're just, while we're here on earth, you're in that position, but it's only temporary is what he's reminding us that we're all going to answer to how many masters at the end. Just one. I read the end of the book, you guys. There's only one person we give an account to. One aud- the audience of one is who we have to answer to, not our boss. That doesn't mean that you get to go into work tomorrow and be like, I only have one boss and it's not you. Remember, don't, 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 don't forget, this is still, he's saying obey your, your masters. He's saying obey, but also keep in mind of who we're accountable to. Who we're answering to changes everything. When we get this audience of one thing right, 
man, it would drastically change. Man, if we got to be known as the employee or the employer that everybody wanted to work for, that everybody wanted to work under, man, what a beautiful testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the way this is possible. It's not possible in the flesh. I can't do this. I can't. You start reading this and you're like, amen to that part. Like, that, this, this is hard work. It's evidence that God is at work in you, that the Spirit's taking hold of you. All of a sudden, your desires are getting pushed a little bit down more on the wayside. His desires are elevated. This comes from an intimacy, a sensitivity to the Spirit's moving and working. This comes out of relationship with Christ it's evidence that we're getting this whole thing right with the, the whole s- sacrificing to others, putting their needs above our own. That's what God's calling us to, and it's a beautiful thing if we get it right. Let me pray towards that end. God, thank you for this text this morning, and I have to admit it's not an easy one to go through. If I were writing a sermon myself, I don't know that some of those points would be in there. I thank you that your, war, your word points to something different, something so countercultural, something so contrasting of the world around us that it must be of you and not of man. We recognize that this morning and we trust you and ask you to help us in this endeavor. We can't do it on our own. We need your spirit moving and working in our lives, God. But I'm confident if we got this right, the world would take notice. So we ask for your help. We ask for your strength. We ask you to nudge us when we're not getting this right, to convict us, keep shaping us more into your likeness. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And part of that offering the heart completely to him is even in the workplace, right? got to believe that God didn't intend us just work 45 years, retire in Arizona and play shuffleboard. He had more in store for us than that, that we would literally make a difference in the workplace. We'd reflect him well. Let's do that this week. Amen. Just a reminder, if you're interested in being a part of this new prison ministry that we're starting, we have a lunch provided in the conference room over here after the service. God bless you. Have a great week.